The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Now, would you please return me to my vessel? Can't do that. Not yet. I have a few questions I want answered. Return me to Voyager. I've learned your weapons are damaged, your ship's teleporter is half shot, but I didn't get all the personnel files. I have to know my enemy. Give me Captain Janeway's psychological profile. I'm a doctor, not a database. I'd say you're a little bit of both. Start talking. <laughs> or suffer the consequences? Hardly. I'm a hologram. I experience neither pain nor fear of death. You have no means of coercing me. <laughs> pain. It's an interesting sensation, isn't it? I, I never realized how unpleasant it could be. This is what burning feels like. For a human to experience what you're going through right now, he'd have to be on fire. By reconfiguring your tactile response sensors, Easy as proverbial pie. Feeling more cooperative? London. It is Thursday, July 4th, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. <laughs> Fade into color, color into black and white. You're in a strange mood today. I was planning that all week. <laughs> well, we're going to hell and back for you today, as our potpourri of topics actually includes hell as a point of discussion. I'll be talking about that a little later. Heavens what, no. What exactly is the concept of hell all about? I think we need to know just to keep ourselves away from the place, you know? Or, or is it a place? Well, later. Uh, at the end of the show, we want to talk a little bit about the London West by-election, which broke out yesterday, not just the London West, but all five in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I also saw a very interesting editorial in the London Free Press that I'll, want, I'll investigate later in the second half of the show, which actually entertained the question, could an atheist ever become Prime Minister of Canada or President of the United States? It didn't really go in the usual direction I expected and, and made some observation in observations you don't see too often in print. You I know? can tell you right now that I suspect that most of them probably were atheists. Well, that might be a point of discussion. That's mm -hmm. a good good point to make, but again, publicly, are they, or are they officially? Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole other issue. And Robert, I know you've got some more subjects on your plate as well. There were so many things in the news of late that uh, I couldn't really concentrate on just one topic, so I want to cover a few of them, including Rand Paul's personhood bill, um, a resale right, here in the um, Canadian Parliament. Uh, parting words at the Western Convocation, uh, Edward Snowden, some further thoughts there, and uh, a bit of feedback, if we can get that. Wow, that's far a lot right into there. It. Yeah, but Sounds like a normal whole show right there. <coughs> it does. <isn't> it? <laughs> I'll just deal with uh, some of them really quickly. For example, Rand Paul, right off the top, is a U.S. Senator 
renowned, of course, for his um, libertarian leanings and his um, um, filibustering of the Senate and talking about the individual rights. And he's recently proposed a bill. It's called um, Bill S-583 to implement equal protection under the 14th uh, article of, of amendment to the Constitution for the right to life of each born and pre-born human person. Now, with this one bill, Rand Paul has, in my estimation, rather than define personhood as beginning at conception, limited the personhood of women as ending at pregnancy. For all of his oratory on the nature of individual rights and liberties, for the limit, uh, limitation of the intrusion of the state into the lives of Americans, with this one bill, Senator Paul attempts to regulate women as second-class citizens as merely incubators for future citizens of the United States, preferably male, no doubt, as their rights seem to remain intact at all stages of life. I just have... Um, before I, I get into to one thing, I'm just going to let you uh, hear something okay. from the bill first before we talk about it. Part of the bill says the Congress hereby declares that the right to life guaranteed by the Constitution is vested in each human being. Nothing in this act shall be construed to require the prosecution of any woman for the death of her unborn child. And uh, as a human person, human being is defined as uh, include each member of the species Homo sapiens at all stages of life, including the moment of fertilization, cloning or other moment at which an individual member of the human species comes into being. So are you going to say something, Bob? Well, you said this bill talked about born born and pre-born. So pre-born, yes. Yeah, but born as well? Is there some <coughs> doubt about whether born children have personhood? Interesting, yeah. It says the right to life of each born and pre-born human person. Um, that just was an odd thing to toss in there. I didn't think that was an yeah. issue after yeah. birth, you know. Well, apparently it is an issue if he's willing to uh, rid women of their right to their bodies and reproductive uh, choices. Well, he could be talking about children's rights overriding their, the rights of the parents, even in, in early life. I, I really know. don't know what he's talking about. Okay. I basically read you the uh, the whole bill there. Mm. It wasn't the whole bill, but uh, the salient points. Yeah. So he's basically trying to say that human being, according to the Constitution and right to life, begins at the fertilization of the egg. Uh, okay, a, so an indivisible zygote. What do they plan? What are they planning to do with doctors and women who don't That's go along? That's my with point. It? Let's what's say, the, for example, punishment. Yeah, if a woman are they has going to hell, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah. If a woman, for example, has an abortion, now according to this bill, she's not going to be prosecuted. However, what about the doctors or nurses? Should we give them the death penalty for committing the murder on this zygote, this embryo, this, this Well, fetus? you heard about that horrible case in Chicago lately where the doctors were aborting, you know, almost viable kids, almost ready at birth. Oh, that right? was horrific. And, and, and the uh, doctor deserved the penalty he got, which absolutely. was life, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, no, no, that was horrific. That was after they were born. He would basically pith them or sever their spinal cord. Let's say another example. If a woman has a car accident uh, for which she is not at fault and miscarries as a result, should the person at fault should be, f be found guilty of manslaughter? You know, that mm. raises that question. If a woman miscarries due to any number of accidents caused by somebody else, 
Should they, those other people, be held criminally responsible for the death of the unborn? If so, what's the problem? You know, what's the acceptable prison term? Life? This is ludicrous. This is absolutely nonsense. And to come from the so-called defender of individual rights in the United States, Senator Rand Paul, is amazing, considering the fact that he apparently is a physician, and his father, Ron Paul, is an obstetrician. Right. So, or was at least. So, I mean, it's just absolutely uh, amazing. I, I, I'm also uncomfortable with the word rights because rights is the wrong word here. Um, children don't even have rights. Most rights no. don't exist till you're. They 18. have the right to life. Well, a right to life. Um, it's rights are accrued in that you know, sense, and rights have to do with your own choices. So mm -hmm. even if you gave rights to the unborn, they are in no position to exercise them. So them. Therefore, they have nothing. Children and the unborn. Are, have a status in society and the more advanced that society is the more mature and civilized those st that status is now I'm not a big defender of abortion I don't like the idea for mm -hmm. you know and I and I think there's some strong cases on a personal level about about people having made choices and having to follow through on the consequences of their choices I agree with all that mm -hmm. but that doesn't solve the problem uh, certainly the biggest part of the problem is let's stop subsidizing it Paying that's for number a, one. That's, yeah. you know, <laughs> we just get so far away from individual responsibility that everything we do is this big collective responsibility, whether it's somebody else's birth. You know, everybody's involved in everybody's life, which is natural to a point. Sure. We're, we're, we're group people. Even you know, the only issue between collectivism and individualism is whether our groups are formed voluntarily or through the use of force. That's really the only distinction. So, you know, I, I don't even like the idea of, of talking about rights in that sense, because if we're giving rights to beings that are incapable of exercising or possessing them, then what does that say about our own rights? Yeah, I covered abortion and that whole notion of uh, when does rights begin in a previous mm -hmm. show. Of course, our listeners can find that online at justrightmedia.org. Let's move on to another mm -hmm. topic here. Pierre Nantel uh, the federal representative for Long Gay, Pierre Boucher, is um, uh, an NDP member of parliament, and he's proposed a bill called about resale rights, artists' resale rights, oh, allowing Canadian artists to benefit from their work in perpetuity. <laughs> so in other words, um, an Inuit um, uh, artist sculpts a figurine. That figurine he sells to a person for, let's say, a hundred bucks. Though they're going usually for a lot more um, down here, though. I understand if you go up to a Caliwit in those places, you can buy them for like 10 bucks. Was that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he sells it for 100 bucks, say. Now that person flies down to Toronto, puts it on his mantle, and years later sells it to another person. According to this bill, that artist should have a cut in every time that piece of art is resold. What do you think of that, Bob? Well, I think it's insane. Yes. <laughs> Secondly, if you were going to do it, you'd have to be insane because you'd have to set up a registry of art yep. and that would employ probably thousands of people. Oh, of course. You know, there's something like this that's already been going on in, in the European countries. I remember watching on 60 Minutes probably in the 1980s. About 69 countries apparently have resale rights of art. Well, it's not just that, but the, the, the state also pays for art, and then they warehouse it in these huge warehouses where nobody will ever see it, and they just dump it in there. It's, just it's basically subject. welfare for yeah. artists. Sure. Because I, uh, what are they saying? They're saying that uh, artists are incapable 
of uh, making a living. Basically. I'll give you an example. Let's, <laughs> let's say an architect who, in my mind, could be an artist for, for the creation sure. that he makes in, in designing a house. So I go off to a, uh, an architect and say, I want to design a house. So he designs me a house. Let's call it the Enright House. <laughs> I've designed a house already, the house that's on Spring true. Bank. And, and you that's did a unique. great job of it. A good yeah. party room in there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's say the artist or the architect builds you a house and you pay him $10,000 for that. So now, according to this, him being an artist, you sell that house 20 years down the road, he deserves a cut of the resale. Mm -hmm. What absolute rubbish. What nonsense. Well, it belies the right of contract. It's perfectly consistent with socialist thinking. Of course. You know, yeah. redistribu redistributing the wealth. Yeah. Now, let's move on to another topic. There's so many things that I'd like to talk about today. I'm just touching on them here, but um, a couple of shows ago, number 302, I think it was. Where was that? Yeah. Number 302. Um, back in May... I talked about the virtue of selfishness when we talked about oh, Neuron yeah, Brook. we had a little run on, on mm -hmm. that subject there. Now, since then, the uh, University here of Western Ontario has marked its 301st convocation. And in their Western News publication, they um, had a number of parting words by dignitaries and scholars and honorary degree recipients. And I just want to go through a few of them because they underscore everything I said in that show about how our society is one of sacrifice. It is not one of rational self-interest. In terms of what people say they value, even though they don't really value it when they it comes to real like life. They, they don't live like that. They don't live rationally okay. self-interested, but they always talk about giving, 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 till you sacrifice, till it hurts. Just to go through it, here is oncologist uh, Payush Lala, here at Western, Quote, be unselfish in sharing whatever you can give, your knowledge, expertise, or wealth. The world needs more and more of all of you. Yes, no doubt. What about the recipients of that wealth, Peyush? Here's one from um, Emma Donahue. She's an author. Well, aren't we being unselfish by sharing our knowledge here? I guess we are, yeah. <laughs> Unless somebody paid us for it. <laughs> she quotes, um, there's more than a dash of fluke in all success. I ignore what's coming up, what came before, and delve into my own distress. That is a message of chaos, fate, and luck. What great parting words to give to people who have planned and, uh, and spend a number of years of their lives trying to reach a career. Hey, it's all luck. It's all fate. Just go with the chaos, you know. Absolute rubbish. Really sorry. You know, it's true that there are parts of life that are always beyond our control. And there are always those things we that's can't do fact. something. That's a but fact that's of not, life. That's right? not what you say to a group of people yeah. who are planning for the future. That it's all a matter of fate and chaos. Mm -hmm. Those aren't great You have words. to learn how to deal with those things. And what choices you make when faced with that chaos and fate, whatever you want to call it. That's true. Here's another one. You owe it to your families, to your communities, to your country and your planet. You are the 1%. And that is by Richard Ivey, whose his father's name is here at the university, uh, at the business school. Um, here's another one about faith and no planning by Silken Lauman. Uh, the, uh, I think she's Olympian skater, wasn't she? Something like that. What lies between where we are now and where we are going is belief. Belief that somehow, some way, we are going to get there. So, don't plan, just believe. There's something maybe, t t you know, positive about that. Have faith in yourself, sure, but plan. It's not a matter of chaos and, and, and fate. Uh, it was possible some of those people might have included the wider concept, because you're, you're, all they've presented you there with are these outtakes, right? So mm -hmm. there could be a larger context. Though I did look up some of these well, greater contexts, and no, no. For, most, for the most part, these are... the, the, the 
gist of their message. Okay. Here's political pundit and national affairs columnist for the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert. Don't make plans. It'll save you from having to trash them. <laughs> uh-huh. Lovely. Here's and, another one. Okay, so I don't make plans. Then what? What do I do then? I just yeah, sit yeah, here. nothing to trash. Do I ha- well, I have to trash my non-plans then, yeah. don't I? I don't know. President and CEO, CEO of TD Bank Group, uh, Edmund Clark. Don't take yourself too seriously. The world is filled up uh, with people caught up in the me. It is a huge burden for them to carry on, but frankly, it's even worse for those of us who have to put up with them. Oh, disgusting. And I'm going to leave this segment with two qu- quotes that were actually positive. There were more, by the way, of that ilk, mm-hmm. of self-sacrifice, <coughs> um, of, of giving and, and, and sacrificing. But these two I liked. L- listen to this. Steel is a fundamental building block of our world. It is essential that the material be of highest quality. The same is true for you. We need to have personal strengths of the highest quality. And that's by Indira Samasaresk. Samasreskera, um, and she is, not surprisingly, um, President and Vice Chancellor of the University of Alberta, but she is a PhD in metallurgical engineering, yeah, yeah. working in the Department of Metals and Material Engineering at UBC with a focus on the continuous casting of hot rolling of steel. So in other words, a person who deals with reality. Mm-hmm. And her words of advice, I think I like those. And here's the last one by Bob McDonald. Most people would know him as the host of Quirks and Quarks. He is a science journalist, again, a man rooted in nature and understanding reality. Quote, when you're scared, you learn really fast. And when you think you're not good enough, you work harder to be as good. And when you finish something after you've been scared, it feels good. And I like that sentiment. In other words, take pride in your work and know that at the end of your hard work, there is a feeling of accomplishment. Well said, Bob McDonald. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, off to you, Bob. I'm going to go for a little break here. I guess we're going to hell now, so uh, (laughs) let's take a break. We'll be back right after this. Wait a minute. Where did this come from? This wasn't here before. What's going on here? Where am I? Mr. Valentine, do you remember when we met earlier today? I told you I was in a sense your guide, and you said you needed a guide like a hole in the head. Yeah? Well, as a matter of strict fact, you had a hole in the head only a short time before. (laughs) A bullet hole. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The cops, they... Then I must... I must be dead. Mm Mm-hmm. If I'm dead, then then all of this, the, the joint, the, the, the clothes, the, the booze, then I must be in heaven. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm in heaven, right? And you, you're my guardian angel, something like that? Oh, something like that, yes, anything Mr. Valentine. Anything I want, eh? Anything, anything. Yeah, big talk, fat so big talk. I want to see an election now. Right now, I want a million bucks in 5G notes. And, uh, and a chick that won't quit. I mean, uh, I mean, like stacked, like, 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 like beautiful. Huh? Well, well, as for the million, look in that drawer. Mm-hmm. A million bucks! Hey, 
Now I know I'm in heaven. Will there be anything else, sir? Yeah, there will be, Fats. There will be. Just stick around. Hiya, doll. Yes, Mr. Valentine, what can I do for you? Will you stop creeping around? Anything you say, sir. Anything I say, anything I say. Knock it off, will you? Why, something wrong? No, no, nothing's wrong. Everything is just peachy. Look, I've been in this dump for a month and I can't stand it anymore. But I don't understand. All right, I'll spell it out for you, Fats. I'm bored. Bored! I mean, there's no excitement around here, no kicks. Yeah, but the gambling, I, I thought you enjoyed that. I do. But, but, but when you win every time, that, that ain't gambling, that's charity. Well, I could arrange for you to lose occasion if you'd like. Would that help? It might. No, no, it's no good. It ain't the same. I would know. It is... uh, uh, perhaps uh, you miss your old vocation, is that it? Now you're getting it. Well, there's a nice bank at the corner that you could rob, or would you prefer a jewelry store? No, no, bank's okay. Well, fine, fine. Now, as to the getaway car, well, we have quite a large variety to choose from. Uh, something inconspicuous, I imagine. Wait a minute. Is there a chance that I could get caught? Well, of course, if that's what you'd like. Let me just make a note of it. Come on, sit down, Fats, sit down. Now, look. I don't know how to explain this, but it just ain't the same thing. I mean, what's a kick knocking off a bank if everybody knows about it? Huh? And, 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 and the, the dames, I, I, I never thought I would get bored with beautiful dames, but... Look, look, I wouldn't expect an angel to understand this, see, but, but being a big guy with a chick, it don't mean anything if it's all set up in advance. And I mean, every, everything is great here, you see, really, really great. It's just the way I always imagined it, except that, that, what, just between you and me, Fats, I don't think I belong here. I don't think I fit in. Oh, nonsense. Of course you do. Oh, no, I mean it. I mean it. It's just somebody must have goofed. If I got to stay here another day, I'm going to go nuts. Look, look, I don't belong in heaven, see? I want to go to the other place. Heaven? <laughs> Whatever gave you the idea you were in heaven, Mr. Valentine? This is the other place. he has everything he's ever wanted and he's going to have to live with it for eternity in the twilight zone ah yes good old rod serling eh put it in that twist on everybody's usual image of hell basically isn't it interesting that what is described as hell is basically an outline of socialism where you get everything for nothing you get everything <laughs> your life is planned for you you know yes it's almost I, cu I couldn't help but see that you know if you caught our opener from today's show where the holographic doctor and voyagers made to experience the sensation of being on fire it was a lot like be being in hell not that I speak from any particular personal experience. <laughs> but being holographic, the doctor is unable to die or terminate his suffering. That was the aspect of the opener, I think, that I thought most resembled the classic description of hell, this eternal burning sensation. What's interesting about this form of punishment is 
that it's a sensation at all. To be able to feel physical pain of any sort requires a body that can experience it, at least as it's depicted in the classic example. Of course, pain itself is experienced in the brain through receptors, and we know that we can make it feel artificial, you know, even if it's not caused by something physical. But that's a whole separate issue. Um, unlike its heavenly counterpart, hell is the realm, or, or like its heavenly counterpart, rather, uh, hell is the realm of the supernatural, the afterlife, uh, about which almost every person and culture has some point of view or perspective, be it symbolic, representative, or in some cases people take it literally. You know, it would have been really funny if you'd listened in on Robert and me talking a couple of days ago on the show as he was both explaining and spelling very carefully for me over the phone the Klingon cultural view of the afterlife and where to place all those apostrophes and the spellings of <laughs> Klingon heaven and hell, like Graythor, G-R-E apostrophe T-H-O-R, which is the Klingon afterlife, and where the dishonored go when they die. That's their equivalent of hell. It's guarded by a, a fearsome demon called Feklar, which is spelled F-E-K apostrophe L-H-R, which was really a weird spelling. And, of course, Klingon heaven is Stovokor, S-T-O apostrophe V-O apostrophe K-O-R. I was saying, better not give Ed any files with those names in them. Because <laughs> you know what happens then, I right? I do, they won't play. That's right. My Universal World Reference Encyclopedia describes hell as a place of punishment found with more or less distinctness. In nearly all religions, the precise nature of the punishment wi um, varying widely. Three different concepts of hell are a, a vague notion of a future life to be spent in misery with little or, little or no idea of moral um, retribution. Two, a place of torment for those who have offended the gods, but limited in duration. And three, an important factor in the moral government of the universe, a place where evil deeds are rigorously punished. Hell as the place of woe is mentioned in the New Testament as Gehenna. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, what got me going on all this was an article in the London Free Press that appeared on the 28th by uh, Tom Harper, who, of course, is the, the spiritual and ethical writer who, who appears regularly in the paper. And he had a headline there that said, Best to Ignore ill-informed hell threats. And he talked about a visit he just had to the States where he goes, he's driving along Interstate 75 and he sees all these uh, huge billboards. And they were, he says, they were kind of in a bullying tone on them. If you were to die tonight, where would you be, heaven or hell? And they were promoted by evangelists south of the border of various sort, sorts. And uh, he said it was followed by a phone number and a caption citing some evangelistic agency as a sponsor. And he writes something very interesting. He says, uh, now I would have thought he would be on the side of this idea, but he says, I have often since felt sad that down the century so many millions of honest, decent folk have been haunted by such self-appointed prophets and preachers who claim to know God's special plans for eternity. All of these proclaimed a burning hell, lakes of fire, and numerous other horrors reserved by an allegedly loving creator for those who refuse to get converted, converted, saved, or born again, or jump through some other religious hoop. And he says, studying hundreds of preachers over a lifetime, I've come to see clearly the naive yet highly effective way in which the listeners are manipulated into feeling extraordinary depths of fear and guilt as their sinfulness is analyzed and decried. Billy Graham, one of the most respected evangelists of our time, once confided he saw a need to warm his crusade audience with the fires of hell <laughs> before offering them a way out of their induced despair in his summing up and final emotional appeal. 
And then he says, the supreme irony is that in the case of the Gospels, the kind of hell described here has no place at all. The Greek text says Gehenna, which we just referred to from, from that uh, encyclopedia, where the translators have written, quote, hell. Gehenna was the name of the garbage dump in the valley of Hinnon, just outside the walls of old Jerusalem. For sanitary reasons, the fires there burned continuously, just like we do today with burning our garbage, right? So they were burning, I don't, know, I don't think they had energy from waste yet, they just had waste from waste, but they were getting there. And uh, when Jesus portrayed as speaking of hell, this is what, he, what the saying is about, quote, be careful or you could end up on the garbage heap of life, end quote. That's what he sees as the meaning of that. Paul never mentions Gehenna, nor does John's gospel. Preachers of every religion should banish hell from their preaching and thinking. In fact, I would sound a warning. Be very careful of the kind of deity worship, because you inevitably grow into the likeness of the object of your deepest reverence, value, and respect. And that's how it ends. Any mm. thoughts, Robert? Uh, it's always my interpretation of of hell that it, that it was not a, a, a see growing up Catholic they didn't talk about hell a lot they really didn't no I know just to mention the word maybe but it's not Dante was the one who uh, ascribed all those values to hell that we normally think of the the um, the, the devil with the uh, pointed tail and yes. those things and the lake of fire and all that kind of stuff all right. though I do think lake of fire is mentioned in the uh, Old Testament somewhere. Um, no, I don't give any thought to hell. I mean, it's just a silly uh, fantasy to me. I, I really don't see any value in the whole term at all. And except, to, except to psychologize, as you're, uh, one of the people you were just talking to there, the, um, the people, mostly um, evangelical people, um, to believe in such myths is just beyond me, really. Well, you know, I think, I think the whole idea, too, of, of punishment as being this something that comes from the outside. I mean, reality will punish you if you defy reality. Nature will. Mm -hmm. You know, nature to be commanded must be obeyed. Yes, yes. Right? That, that almost says it all. So the consequences that we see of our improper actions relative to reality, uh, many people see that as a punishment from a third party of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. How come I couldn't get away with floating on the water forever or something? How come I had to drown, you know? Uh, that kind of thing. Oh, God was punishing for your sins. Yeah. Or, yeah, which is nonsensical. As, you know, Rand always reminded us that morality is to live life and, and enjoy it, not to anticipate death and look forward to some sort of afterlife, you know? Well, why do they call it an afterlife? Because, well, afterlife, there's no life, which is... Why that's they call it after, exactly right? death, really. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so anyways, that's where we're at for now, and we have to take a break now. And uh, when I say something like we'll be back after the following break, it's after the break, and the break will not continue after. <laughs> take care. <laughs> now the first thing we'll need is an accounting of all you've been accumulating for me. This form will provide guidelines for a full census of the population with emphasis on productivity and economic forecasts. Who are you? My, you are forceful, aren't you? Good. I like my men to be forceful, at least at the start. If your intention is to intimidate, you're not succeeding. That's all right. I like a challenge. An entire planet has been terrorized because of the suggestion that you're going to enslave the population. Well, it's true. Of course, I wouldn't put it so melodramatically. It's just a standard contract with an unusually long term. So you do purport to be the mythic figure, Argra? I have many names, my pale friend. 
I am Mendora in the Berusian cluster. Torak to the Drellians. The Klingons call me Feklar. You are not Feklar. Ah, but I am. I am the guardian of Great Or, where the dishonored go when they die. But here on Ventex too, I am called Ardra. The same Ardra who negotiated a contract with these people ten centuries ago today. Oh, you doubt me. A non-believer. Really, Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise, no doubt you have traveled the galaxy, encountered a diverse universe of creatures. Is there no room for the likes of me? I've encountered many who are more credibly to be called the devil than you. The devil. Now, there's one I haven't heard in a long time. Matty, face it. The great Kandinsky did it. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He died, came back, and took care of the one that's piece of ridiculous. unfinished business. That's ridiculous. That's amazing. But that's what seems to have happened. I'm sorry, but I will never be able to believe that. You're forgiven. But will you please tell me why you cannot accept the fact that there are things that happen that no one can understand? Because that's not how life works. Oh, forgive me. You know how life works. I know how I think life works, yes. And behind every mystery, behind every unexplained phenomenon, there's usually a perfectly logical explanation. Really? Really. Rainbows. Light refracted by moisture. The Bermuda Triangle. A myth and a hoax. The 69 Mets. A, a myth, myth and, and a hoax. hoax. Come on, Maddie, trust me. There simply are things that defy explanation. I mean, God. Well, now, there you go. There's a good example. God, God's a good example. God defies explanation. You believe in him. Everybody believes in him. Hello? Don't tell me. Then don't ask you me. You don't... I warned you. How can you not? David, I don't think we want to have this discussion. Oh, okay. I get it. This is just something you say, right? This is just something you say to people, right? I mean, deep down. Deep, deep, deep down. I don't believe you. What can I say? I don't believe in... Don't dark. say that! David! You don't have to say that, well, even if you think it. What do you want to say that for? He might hear you. <sighs> all right, all right, but what if you're wrong? Cover yourself. What's it gonna hurt? I don't need to cover myself, thank you. How? How did this happen? How did what happen? I don't have a disease. I have a difference of opinion. Isn't that what our forefathers founded this country for? You think so? <laughs> you think so, Robert? Is nope. that the reason? <laughs> it's interesting. That conversation really reflects some, some a lot of deeply held opinions about atheism, beliefs in God, and, and all sorts of things. I never thought I'd see an opinion like the following one expressed in the free press. It was written by, um, let's see, the president of Polytrain, Inc., Stephen Skivington. And... Uh, had a sort of a offensive headline, Dog Bless Our Country, <laughs> okay? And he asks, could an atheist ever be prime ministers? And his r surprising response is things would be better if one were. 
And he, of course, begins with the famous uh, quote from the song, you know, from Imagine by John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Boy, that sounds very almost objectivist coming out of John Lennon there, doesn't it? It does, yeah, I like it. So anyways, here is uh, Mr. Skivington's interesting comments on this, and he begins with this. He says, uh, hi, my name is Steve, and I'm an atheist. Okay, I admit it doesn't have the same ring as, hi, my name is Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. But admitting you're an atheist these days is every bit as brave as admitting you were an alcoholic 30 or 40 years ago. How did this come to be? I can't say for sure, but I think it has something to do with politics. At some point during the Richard Nixon presidency of the United States in the late 60s and early 70s, religion and politics became entangled in a way that's hard to explain. Like love and marriage, it now seems you can't have one without the other, not if you plan to run for public office. Last year, I spent endless hours following the U.S. presidential election. The Republican primaries, the conventions, the presidential debates, even the vice presidential debates. Candidate after candidate evoked the name of God. God bless America. God bless the Republican Party. God bless those who were born poor and have no hope of raising the millions it costs to run for the office of president. It got me thinking. What if an atheist wanted to run for president or for prime minister in Canada? Sadly, I came to the belief that a woman, an openly gay person of either sex, a minority or someone with a disability, which would each have a better chance of becoming prime minister or president than an atheist. Which is a shame, really, because an atheist is exactly the kind of person we need to fill the top position in the land, be it Canada or America. Hear me out, he asks. First, atheists live in the here and now. No promise of an afterlife for us. If you're an atheist, heaven is a place on earth, not up among the clouds, just behind the pearly gates. Atheists are also inherently honest. We don't have the benefit of confession like Catholics do, (laughs) or soul cleansing, or forgiveness and atonement rituals like other religions. As Bob Dylan once sang, to live outside the law, you must be honest. Believe me, we atheists take this to heart. Then there's a little matter of armed conflict. Consider these statistics. Number of wars caused by atheism? Zero. Number of wars caused by religion? Most of them. (laughs) If we had an atheist as a prime minister or president, I guarantee you we'd spend a lot less of our time and resources trying to kill each other. How come? It's simple. Because there's no afterlife for atheists, we can't afford to find out we were wrong after trying to nuke ourselves into heaven. Atheists have to find our peace and happiness right here on earth, even if there's the possibility there might be 72 virgins waiting in heaven for true believers. Then there's this one. Religious people like to say, God is love. Atheists, on the other hand, believe love is God. The difference is subtle, but real. All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch the endless parade of images dancing across the screen to get it. Shootings, stabbings, bombings, it seems there's no end to the violence, hatred, and intolerance. God is either dead, missing in action, or just downright cruel and indifferent to the suffering of the innocent. And don't get me started on the weather, so-called acts of God, like hurricanes, earthquakes, and tornadoes. What's missing in this debate, of course, is love. Love and respect. For instance, just because I'm an atheist doesn't mean I won't defend your right to believe whatever you want to. Why? Because I love and respect you as a human being. And because I understand the need for an imaginary friend, whether it's Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, no one really knows for sure who's right and wrong. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? 
Although I have to be honest with you, as a practicing atheist, there are days when I think I'd be better off worshipping little green men from outer space or maybe my sweet dog, who, if I were dyslexic, I might call God. <laughs> but enough, let me end my little sermon and leave you with the following thought. Someone once said, if you, can't, you, know, you can't do it if you can't dream it. Well, I'll never be president of the United States of America, and it's likely, unlikely I'll be replacing the prime minister at any time soon. I can dream an atheist as our leader. Imagine. Hmm. What do you think? I think uh, most of the people out there who believe in God are living Pascal's wager. If you remember, Pascal basically yeah. said that, well, uh, given given the uh, consequences of not believing in God, the potential consequences, in other words, a life of damnation or hell, then what do, what's what's it hurt to believe in Him? And of course, that's just you're, you're deluding yourself by saying that, oh, I'm going to believe in God, even though I know He's not there, sure. just so that in case He exists, I'll go to heaven. And that's exactly what Bruce Willis says to her in that clip yes. we just played, right? He says, yes. well, you know, you want to cover your bases kind of thing. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I think most people out there, and I'm really, I'm really convinced of this, most people out there are living Pascal's wagers. They don't believe in God. They may not call, call themselves atheists, but if they gave it any moments of thought, um, they'll come easily come to the conclusion that, you know, I've got absolutely zero evidence for their being God, but just in case, I'm going to believe in him, which is not even a belief, to tell you the truth. Yeah, you know, and, and I always, even, even this writer, I think, confuses some issues in terms of religion and beliefs in afterlife and deities, because that's not consistent with every religion. Every religion has its own nuances. Some don't have an afterlife. Uh, you know, some don't well, have, sure. don't believe in a deity. So that, Judaism, I think, uh, doesn't believe in afterlife right. or after death. And, you know, I, I often get, like, it's no secret to people that I'm an atheist in the sense, although I never call myself, I hate that term, you know, that, that we, it, it describes someone by something they aren't. But I often get asked, like, why are we always attacking believers and stuff? And, and I have to reiterate, that's not what we're doing. We're not out to push atheism, but we're out to defend reality and reason. Mm -hmm. And what happens often is that those two things are the things that are being attacked by people of various beliefs and faiths, and they use that faith to, uh, to, to attack these fundamental truths. Yeah. And so that's what I'm resisting. Uh, otherwise, I don't think th that whole issue would ever even come up. It would never be, you know, would never come up at all. Um, there's also this belief that, um, you know, if we could only get back to paradise, you know, paradise lost, as if paradise is someplace that we should all be uh, striving for. It, it's, uh, you know, it's heaven. Uh, I remember when uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger had a show going here in the area about a decade ago. She kept reiterating, you know, paradise is not heaven. It is hell. Mm -hmm. That is where the animals live. That's where you don't have a choice. It comes from the notion that ignorance is bliss. Exactly. And then where did... Uh, Knowledge begin with the fruit of the tree, you know, fruit, fruit of the of tree, tree of, of knowledge. knowledge. Take the apple, yeah. Right, and and Satan is here. Satan, he's the light, yes. described as the light, giving the Lucifer, light of knowledge. By, Lucifer, by the way, means light. Yes, mm -hmm. and so it's almost backwards. It's it's morality doesn't begin until we understand the difference between right and wrong, and we only can know that via knowledge. And so that was the beginning of being cast out of paradise. Paradise was that place of ignorance where you couldn't... Um, <laughs> In other words, you know too much. Out you go. Well, <laughs> or you know anything. You're, you're on your own now, yeah. you know. And, um, but it's all based on all these eternal myths that continue throughout various... Um, Incarnations, if you like, and use that word. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that's, that's just a funny thing to talk about. Um, 
Yeah, I think we'd be better off. I don't think it matters if it's an atheist or, or a non-believer, as long as he's governing rationally. In the, in, and in, honest. In the and honest, yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know how honest a person can be when they're, when they're denying certain aspects of reality. That's where religion path crosses a certain line. There's a lot of religious people that aren't deniers of reality. They're not going to jump over a cliff because they, they believe they can fly of course or something like that. So let's put that one behind us. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the by-election. Uh, the by-elections, plural. Of course, London West, we're sitting here in the middle of it. It's the big one. It, it has captured the, uh, the eye of the nation, actually. I don't know why. It's not a big election. It's a baby election, which is really what a by-election is. Not only that, is. the uh, government will not change no matter right. who gets elected in these by-elections, right. it's still going to be a minority liberal government. That's the end of that. <laughs> That's right. So uh, we're going to get a little silly here for a moment before we get into this by-election thing. Here's comedian Paul Tompkins talking about what would happen, if uh, what it might be like if we had baby elections in the sense of a baby actually getting elected. Let's get silly for a while before we come back and get real. But let's say it's true. Let's say you know 1,000% beyond a shadow of a doubt you know that you would take a bullet for your child. Let me ask you this. Why are so many people trying to assassinate your baby? What has he done? It takes two to tango. See some crazy tyrant baby? There needs to be a regime change. He's the first baby elected president through a weird loophole in the Constitution. You'd vote for him because his campaign posters would be adorable. <laughs> See his big cheeks? Oh, I'll vote for that baby. I don't even know anything about his policies. Who cares? He hasn't been in Washington long. He's probably not corrupt. <laughs> I just want to see that baby president just like at a big rally with thousands of people. He's on the hip of a Secret Service agent, right? Everything looks clear, Mr. President. <laughs> Classic baby look, like no shirt, just a diaper, big fat baby belly, so precious. And he's the president. He's like waving to the crowd. He's kissing other babies. But smaller babies, so it's not weird. Like he's kissing a lot of preemies. <laughs> People always get weirded out when I say preemies. They're not monsters, they're just premature. They're just early, that's what preemie means, they're early. Oh no, I heard preemies will steal your breath when you're sleeping. No. They won't, they won't. Oh, they'd like to but they're too weak. That's why the preemie army will never prevail. I defy you, preemie army. A mess at my gates, you shall not win this day. Oh. I want to see that movie. Paul versus the preemie army. Yeah, I get myself a starring role, but I figure I'm writing the thing, so why not? <laughs> Who better to bring the vision of the preemie army to the big screen?
It seems like every day, Kathleen Wynne's liberals are apologizing for something they've done to you. And I am very sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry for that. The people of Ontario need to hear that I'm sorry because I am. I am sorry. Spending scandals, cover-ups, tax increases, rising electricity bills, healthcare delays. And it's important not just for this issue, it's important going forward. So I'm sorry about this. What will Kathleen Wynne's Liberals be sorry for tomorrow? Don't wait to find out. In the coming provincial by-election, elect Al Gretzky to be your MPP in London West. My name is Al Gretzky and I am your Freedom Party candidate in the provincial by-election in London West. Elect Al Gretzky because voting for Al Gretzky means never having to hear and I am very sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I'm, uh, I'm able to offer. This message has been paid for by the Freedom Party of Ontario. Well, that's the ad that kicked off the election yesterday and sure got some attention, didn't it? I love that ad. It's priceless. It's just amazing. But listen, before we get into this topic, I understand we have caller Scott on the line. Scott, are you there? Hey. Hi, Scott. Hey, uh, great, great topic. I just had a question for you. Yeah. Um, I have a theory as to why people who uh, believe in some sort of deity often get really angry with atheists. And um, the way I think of it is when someone attacks somebody for not believing in a god, um, I really think that what they're really angry about on, on a subconscious level is that they might be wrong and mm. their parents might have been wrong and their grandparents might have been wrong. So everything that they've been taught and everything they know up until that point, on some level, they're worried that they're wrong. So instead of rationally thinking about it and respecting people for their uh, differing beliefs, they attack the person because really they can't accept or deal with the fact that they might have just grown up believing in, the entire, in a totally wrong thing. So they take it as a sort of an, a personal insult, as um, when anybody corrects anybody else, they, they sometimes take it uh, the wrong way or as a, a personal insult. I guess. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Like if you, you look, if you look at how people reacted to the late Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. he would present them with a, a rational argument after rational argument, and it would get to the point where they get themselves into a corner where they just start acting irrational, attacking him, uh, yelling at him, because they've realized on a subconscious level, I might be wrong, and that frightens me and makes me feel uncomfortable, so I'm at least going to attack this person so that I can deflect that off of myself. Interesting. I, uh, I think there's some truth to that there, Scott. Uh, uh, thanks for that comment. You know, but I think it also extends beyond that. You see that in the scientific circles, too. A new scientist, somebody comes up with a new theory, what happens? He's attacked by everyone who... Vilified. Yeah, because it, it, it attacks the common base of knowledge. Well, nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. Nobody does, especially well, if they've based their whole life well, of on course. a lie. Well, not a lie, but maybe a, well, an you know, error. Well, you know what I'm trying to say, an right. error, yes. Sure, and that's two different things. But interesting observation. I think there might be a whole uh, line of uh, thought in that that might be make for a good segment. Anyways, by-election, Robert, you had yeah. some things to say about it. Well, that was an ad uh, that Paul McKeever, the leader of the Freedom Party, yeah. put together uh, quite skillfully, I must say, because on the one hand, it's been described on another radio channel as a Harper-esque 
risk in yes, its, I in its attack of the uh, liberal leader. And yet, what, what Paul has done is he's used the leader's words against her. So nobody could really deny that she said what she said because she says it, like, I think eight times during that commercial. I'm sorry. Yeah. And what kind and it of wasn't that he took that and all edited it together. Those, she said it like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, and what kind of a leader? First of all, it's good that somebody admits they're wrong. That's great, but there's two things to being sorry about something. First, you admit that you're sorry, you're wrong and you're sorry. That's fine. But then you must make reparation. You must make the things right. And that is not what Wynne is doing. She continues to go on in the same direction. And it's unbelievable what things that the new Liberal Party after this election is going to come up with uh, to, to, to apologize about in the future. I just... It's it's a funny commercial. It's grabbed a lot of attention, and uh, it was basically the talk of the town yesterday. Oh yes, and not just our town, but other towns too. It was on Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard and even talked about coast to coast because apparently it hit its mark and it was just timed perfectly. Yeah, the ads ran even before the writ dropped, just just moments before. So that worked out very well. Interesting dynamic in this riding, particular, particularly because of Liberal Ken Coran coming in, who wasn't a liberal, or we we don't know what he is. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't know what he is, apparently. He has no idea when he quit the NDP party, which means he could still be NDP. I don't know when I quit. Yeah, you know, but to me, the big mystery is why would he even run for the Liberals and, and abandon the NDP, which is being fielded by or Peggy Sadler as the candidate for the NDP for Green. we got Gary Brown, Conservative, Ali Chabar, Liberal Ken Coran, and, of course, Freedom Party Al Gretzky. But why would Ken Coran pick the Liberal Party, and I, I thought there was only two possible reasons. One is because he knows he's going to win with that party and not win with the NDP. Mm -hmm. Or he's going to stab the, the Liberals in the back and pull the NDP up by mm -hmm. bringing them down. Uh, but I don't think it's the latter. I think it's the former, and that seems to be what is suggested by Hudak's own conservatives, who don't seem to think that they can take the riding from all the talk I've been hearing. Especially How can you not take... <laughs> I mean, how bad do you have to be with all this anger against the Liberals yes. to not win? But then the big question is, well, why do the Liberals keep winning? Because somebody's voting for them. They're, we're surrounded by people who will vote for that party. Yeah. Where are these people? <laughs> They're your neighbors. Would one of you call in, please, and tell me if you're for real? I don't. You never. Liberals never call in on radio. There's talk no shows. liberal radio talk show. No. Yeah. Where are they? Do they hide and cower in in shame? I don't know. But they keep voting liberal. So what is the, what? I would like to understand from a liberal, from a liberal himself, what it is about that party, which stands for nothing, as far as I'm concerned, uh, almost a negative nothing. It stands for corruption and destruction. Yeah. Why would anyone vote for such a party? And Another thing about the, this particular uh, by-election in London West is that Ali Chabar has recently been shown to have been a, a oh, supporter they're all, they're all of, uh, what's his name, Doug Ferguson. Um, he ran for the Liberals, was it federally? Mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago, and you got a picture there of Ali Chabar wearing a Doug Ferguson button. It's just unbelievable. In other words, the NDP, the Liberals, the Conservatives, they're all of the same party. It's called the Left Party. The only person shining out in this particular by-election is a good friend of yours and mine, Al Gretzky. As he did party. amazingly on, on uh, CTV last night. Yes, great interview. When, especially when they were asked about the spectrum and the colors. That was just an amazing thing, because that's going to fit in to the future plans of if anybody hasn't London seen it, West it's on CTV's uh, website, yeah. and what you'll see is the NDP, Liberal, and Conservative being shown paint palettes by the interviewer and saying, where do you fall on this spectrum? And they're there, oh, I'm a little orange, oh, I'm this red, and I'm all over this blue. And uh, Al Gretzky goes, uh-uh, 
I'm not going to fall for that, basically. Uh, you, people don't owe a loyalty to a color. Yeah. It's it great, great stuff. Anyway, I didn't get to have the stuff I wanted to, Bob. So, to the listeners out there, I'm going to have to cover these uh, next well, week. Well, we got next week, sure. Yeah. And we'll have to leave for another week, and hopefully they won't take us to hell and back in this election. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Hell is scary. They've gone into some detail of why hell is scary, but heaven doesn't sound that much greater in comparison to me. Like, hell, if you've read, like, Dante's Inferno, which I have because I'm smarter than you, uh, <laughs> you'll know that there's, there's all these layers to hell. Like, the first layer is like a river of boiling feces you swim in a thousand years, and then the second layer, you eat rust for a thousand years, and the third layer, you shit that rust out for a thousand. Very painful, don't try it. So you're like, well, what's the other side? What's the other side of that? It's like, well, we haven't really, there's a harp. That's as much as we know. The heart. Can you imagine what it would be like if you gave up all the awesome stuff in life, like marijuana and going to raves in order to get to heaven? And you get up there and the pearly gates are like, hey, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> really? This is okay. And you're a good Christian, so you try to make the best of it. Just, I'll just play it and see what happens. <laughs> a thousand years goes by. Ten thousand years later. Are you you kidding me? Are you serious? This is all there is to heaven, this harp? Is there anything else? Yeah, there's one more treat. You get to hang out with your family forever. 